Hi everyone and welcome back to the Drinks with Ali podcast, where we're talking everything from red red wine to pina coladas. My name is Ali and I'm your host. Today is Friday, January 22nd, making today a free-for-all Friday. This is episode number 16 of the podcast, and as with every free-for-all Friday, today we're talking one random topic. Today I'm going to give you guys a recipe and a little history behind one of my favorite gin-based cocktails. But whoa, 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 wait up, guys. I just realized in all my excitement on Monday of my must-have bottles on my bar or in my liquor closet, I forgot to leave you with a recipe. Oh boy. Oh dear. So let's take a look at two different cocktails today and their origin stories. Let's jump on in. We'll start today with my favorite gin-based cocktail, which is, drumroll please, the Bee's Knees. Seriously. I have so much love for this cocktail, quite possibly because its namesake invokes memories of the 1920s. It's glitz, it's glamour, it's hard driving, it's hard drinking in the in Prohibition era speakeasies, and everything else that comes with the Art Deco era. All right, so the term bee's knees originated in the late 1800s as something that was impossible or unobtainable, unobtainable because, well, do bees even have knees? which, coincidentally, is the name of a riff I've done on a Bee's Knees cocktail before. It was really tasty. Swapped out gin for moonshine. It's delicious. During uh, the early part of the 1900s, though, fashionable Americans picked up the term as an idiom of excellence, similar to the cat's pajamas or the cat's whiskers. These same super fashionable peeps were also the ones out there drinking during Prohibition, either because they could go to Europe to avoid prohibition altogether, they had enough money to basically have a get-out-of-jail-free card, or enough money to get their hands on illegal or bootlegged booze. Now, during prohibition, through creation, usage, and consumption of bathtub gin gave way to the invention of this super humble yet super tasty cocktail. By the way, fun fact, the 1920s were the booziest decade in American history despite prohibition. In fact, maybe even because of prohibition. So there's no definitive proof of a single origin of this cocktail. As with many cocktails of this era, there were multiple people with their hand in the air as the creator of the bee's knees. One story credits Frank Meyer of the Ritz bar at the Ritz Carlton, or what is now the Ritz Carlton, used to just be the Ritz, in Paris. He was their first head bartender when it opened. The Ritz bar plays a very important role in cocktail history and world history in general. Um, It plays a role when the Nazis uh, come in and take over Paris. Um, It plays a role as Paris is liberated. It reopened in 2016, though, after being renovated and is now known as the bar Hemingway. After Ernest Hemingway, the famous writer, who is well known for drinking a lot of liquor at the Ritz bar. So, but more on our bee's knees. A more compelling origin story, given that we know that the bee's knees originated in the United States, is that a San Francisco bartender by the name of Bill Boothby invented, or at least wrote down, the recipe first. Um, So, like I said, cocktail history... Unless somebody has definitive proof, 
really super muddy. We probably don't know what's going on. And, well, we just kind of have to guess. My assumption is probably Bill Boothby was the first person to write down the recipe. But who knows? I don't know. I don't know. I just like this cocktail, and I'm going to roll with it as being one of my favorites. So for the recipe, first you're going to grab your coupe glass. A coupe looks like a small dish on a stem. Um, it used to be called a champagne boob, said to be uh, modeled after Marie Antoinette's boob, but whatever, it's called a coupe. I've also served uh, bee's knees in a very small martini glass or on, in a rocks glass in a pinch, but traditionally it's definitely served in a coupe. You want to chill it. You can do this in one of two ways. You can stick ice and cold water into your coupe glass and it'll chill down the glass, or you can stick it in the freezer. Be careful when you're sticking it in the freezer that it's not in there too long because you don't want the glass to freeze and break. It can happen. Next, you're going to grab your shaker. You're going to add two ounces of high-quality gin. Remember when we were talking Monday, something like a Dorothy Parker, a Bombay Sapphire. You can use Tanqueray. Use, even better, a local craft gin. Um, but whatever it is, just make sure it's really high in quality and tastes really good. Uh, good taste profile is all where you want to be when it comes to this gin. To that, you're going to add three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice and a half an ounce of honey syrup. Now, personally, I usually do three quarters, three quarters because I like a little more sweetness in my drinks than more sourness. That's a personal preference, though, and you can dial that up or dial that down depending on your preference. And then we're going to add a handful or so of ice to our shaker, put our top on, because remember, we don't want anything to go flying, and shake it up. A good shake should be about 30 to 45, maybe 60 seconds, not much longer than that. And you're going to strain it into your glass. If you had ice and water in your glass, you're going to want to dump those out first. Don't pour your drink into the ice and water. You want to serve it just as it is in the glass. You're probably wondering what on earth honey syrup is. Nope, you don't just want to add honey. You can do that, but it won't dissolve, and it will leave lumpy bits of honey in your shaker, and it won't um, blend into the drink as nicely. Instead, what you want to do is boil a kettle of water or um, have a, a measure of water in your pan, and you're going to add an equal part of honey to it. So I like to do it in a heat-proof container, something like a mason jar that I can put a lid on and I can shake it and add equal parts honey and boiling water. And then I put the lid on and I shake it until it's dissolved and it's really smooth. It's literally that easy and it will keep for about a month in the fridge. Now again, local is best, so we want to use local honey. We don't want to go with, you know, the generic Billy B. That might just be a Canadian brand. Um, but you don't want a generic honey. The better and the higher quality of the honey, the better your drinks are going to come out. Now, cocktail number two. Cocktail number two is going to need two of those bottles that we talked about on Monday. You're going to need both Campari and Dark Rum. This cocktail is called the Jungle Bird and is probably one of my favorite, if not my absolute favorite, tiki-style drink. Now, the Jungle Bird has... A much, much easier history to follow. It was created originally as a welcome drink at the former Kuala Lumpur Hilton, so the Hilton Hotel in the Kuala, in Kuala Lumpur, um, and it was created by Jeffrey Ong at the hotel's aviary bar. Yes, there were birds in the bar. 
And it was originally served in a little tiny porcelain bird-shaped mug. So not only was it named after the birds that it was around, but it was served in a little bird for you to drink from. A little bit weird, but whatever. So for decades, it was really only popular in Malaysia, at that bar, at that hotel. Uh, Until, well, and despite appearing in a 1989 cocktail book called The New New American Bartender's Guide, it really wasn't until it appeared in Jeff uh, the Beach Bum, Barry's Intoxica book in 2002, that it started to take off outside of Malaysia. So a uh, little side note, Jeff Beachbum Berry is considered to be one of the instigators of the cocktail revolution that we're currently undergoing, and is also considered to be the Indiana Jones of tiki drinks. Um, really, he's seen as the father of the kind of modern tiki drink culture, and he is credited with saving thousands of recipes, or at least hundreds of recipes, from small tiki bars around the world that created small drinks that were just their own, and he helped discover them, and he would save the recipes, and he would find the ingredients that were needed in order to make these really specialized cocktails and helped bring them to kind of like the mainstream cocktail area. Back to the Jungle Bird. Since its revival in the early 2000s, it's become a mainstay of cocktail menus, both tiki-themed and non-tiki-themed, and it's certainly a modern classic that many a bartender squirrels away in the back of their brain for when somebody asks for a bartender's choice. Um, Pro tip, don't ask for a bartender's choice. If it's super busy at the bar, it just slows us down if we have to stop and think about what we're making. Otherwise, you're just going to get whatever. If I'm making... Six daiquiris, and you ask for a bartender's choice, guess what? You're going to get the seventh daiquiri. Why? Because it's just easy for me to do if I'm slammed. So, But if it's quiet, or you know the bartender well, then absolutely go for it. Order a bartender's choice. You never know. You might find your new favorite classic. Um, That's how I found the cocktail called the Southside. I happened to be at a bar. A friend of mine was bartending. It was quiet. I'd had a couple drinks, and I said, hey, Make me something. I love gin. Whatever you want. Southside came my way. So, for the recipe, you can grab your shaker again. You're going to add one and a half ounces of dark rum. Again, we want to use good quality rum. Doesn't really matter where it comes from as long as it's dark rum. Don't use a spice. Don't use a white. Don't use anything else. got to be dark. And it's got to be good quality. To your shaker, then, we're going to add three quarters of an ounce of Campari half an ounce of lime juice, one and a half ounces of pineapple juice, and half an ounce of demerara or rich syrup. Add that ever so faithful handful of glass, or ice. Whoops, don't add glass. Do not add glass to your shaker. That would be bad. You're going to add ice to your shaker. Shake it all up and strain it into a rocks glass that has ice in it. Um, If you have those cool big one by one inch squares or those steers that are also about one and a half inches round, looks really awesome. And then you're going to garnish it with a pineapple wedge. Um, this is totally optional. If It looks really cool if you do it, but if you don't have a chunk of fresh pineapple or even a chunk of canned pineapple hanging around, it's not the end of the world if you don't. Some people also add a pineapple frond or a pineapple leaf so that the garnish looks like a bird's tail feather, giving, of course, its big namesake, the jungle bird. Um, 
So the molds for those big one by one cubes or the spheres are really easy to come by. You can find them in most stores or on Amazon. Demerara sugar or Demerara syrup is the same as simple syrup, but you'll swap the regular old white sugar that we use for our simple syrup for Demerara sugar, aka brown sugar, uh, light brown sugar. Now, if you're wanting to go with a rich syrup instead of the Demerara, like if you really can't find Demerara or you just want to make this recipe really quick at home, you don't want to have to find brown sugar, but you got lots of white sugar at home, grab your we can do, do it with a rich syrup. It's no big deal. So you are going to take the idea of using simple syrup where we combine equal parts sugar and boiling water and stir it until it's all dissolved and we have a nice clear liquid. But with the rich syrup, we're going to add two parts sugar and one part boiling water and stirring it up again until the sugar dissolves. This leaves us with a, with a much thicker syrup than the simple syrup. Um, so it's going to look a lot thicker when it's in your bottle. And it's going to probably be a little darker in color. Uh, another note on this cocktail. I have to admit that I love pineapple juice, which is probably part of why I love this cocktail so much. Pineapple juice is kind of like my version of Frank's Red Hot. I will literally put it on everything. I do not care. I will try and put it in any cocktail at any point for any reason because I just love it so much. So with that, guys, we're going to wrap up our short little free-for-all Friday episode. If you want to drop me a line at over on uh, my email, drinkswithally at gmail.com. So D-R-I-N-K-S-W-I-T-H-A-L-I at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Love to know what you're thinking about cocktails. Love to know if what you'd like to hear from me. And you can also leave me a comment or contact me through the website. I am tripping over my tongue today, guys. I am so sorry. Uh, the website is drinkswithally.com. D-R-I-N-K-S-W-I-T-H-A-L-I.com. There's a contact me form there that you can fill out if you will need to drop me a question, comment, or a show topic. You can comment on episode 16's post, and I will see it there as well. You can also catch me on all of the social medias. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, MeWe, Pinterest, Spotify. They're all at Drinks with Ally. So again, D-R-I-N-K-S-W-I-T-H-A-L-I. With that, guys, fill your glass with something tasty. Cheers, everyone.